This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is January 20th. We've got an inauguration underway. Um, so as a result, we've seen the S&P rise to all-time highs ahead of Biden's inauguration. Um, Netflix is doing well. Nasdaq's at a record. Um, right now, we saw volatility drop. And in terms of 10-year treasuries, uh, it's gone up a little bit. Um, it's ending right now, it's still trading at like 1.096%. Um, Grant, any any thoughts on any of this? Well, I think Netflix is... Is, uh, is one that we should just highlight here. Uh, we saw Netflix soar more than 13% after the company reported strong uh, earnings and as well as subscriber growth. Um, yesterday, uh, they are considering share buybacks. The interesting thing is now after, let's see, since 2011, that they, they borrowed a bunch of money and now they're uh, finally self-sufficient and that now uh, they, they will have free cash flow. So that's... Uh, uh, big news for Netflix. They finally were able to get free cash flow to the firm after 200 million subscribers. So that should be noted by the other streaming services that it, it will take a while before the streaming services turn a profit. Uh, inauguration on the way. As you mentioned, we did see the S&P uh, futures were were uh, positive this morning and the S&P 500 has now risen to, to all time highs, uh, which is good news as the Biden administration takes over. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things we'll really have to look out for um, right now as we as he tries to push for a new stimulus is that we're still looking at some really lackluster unemployment rates, especially amongst lowest paid workers. Um, right now, I mean, the, the recession started off at 14.7% uh, unemployment rate was the peak pandemic. Then it's gotten down to, you know, about 67 but the jobless rate for the lowest quartile of earners is is likely above 20%. So um, there's a huge segment of the economy that is kind of out of the loop and uh, hasn't really experienced the recovery thus far, uh, is in fact worse than what the average was uh, at the start of this thing. Well, we're seeing the, the damage of the COVID-19 restrictions and, and the layoffs really impacting the groups and demographics that are already the most challenged. So what we're seeing, and, and this is what the, the Fed economists reported, is that uh, we're seeing a K-shaped recovery that's highly uneven with certain sectors and groups. So a K-shaped recovery occurs when uh, a recession happens and different parts of the economy recover at different rates uh, or different times. So that's really what we're seeing today. Uh, some of the numbers is we see black unemployment rate is 9.9%. The Hispanic rate is 9.3%. Well, the rate for white, white whites is 6%. So that that's a pretty big discrepancy there. Um, and so we do see the Fed officials have continued to call uh, for, for more fiscal help. And, and we did see at the end of last week uh, that joblessness claims did surge. So first time joblessness claims beat the streets expectations uh, by over 150,000. And um, so the interesting thing there is we did see states with stricter restrictions and loose restrictions saw increase in claims. So it's it's not an impact on stricter restrictions. Yeah, um, you had first time claims for unemployment insurance jumped to nine hundred and sixty five thousand. 
Um, Wall Street estimates, you know, had been uh, 800,000 and then the previous week's total was, you know, 784,000. So they had significantly, were a fairly significant increase. Um, and, you know, we saw markets react to that number slightly um, as well. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the Fed's still currently buying at least $120 billion worth of bonds each month. Uh, they're trying to keep their benchmark short-term borrowing rates near zero. And finally, we have a new government transitioning in uh, with a big stimulus on the way. Well, we should probably dive into that stimulus because we have seen uh, mixed reviews on the Joe Biden stimulus plan, uh, nearly two trillion price tag. And this is after we saw the biggest stimulus uh, last year in 2020. Uh, Drew, can you walk us through this plan and, and some of the highlights that we see in the stimulus package? Uh, sure. I mean, you've had some people like Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren um, say he's comfortable with it. Um, you know, there's there's obviously pundits who aren't, but he really, you know, said it's a big package, but, you know, you're at a point where, in his words, you know, people need to be vaccinated and, and businesses, you know, have been bridged. But ultimately, what it entails is that you're going to see enhanced unemployment aid. So Biden is planning to increase the federal boost of the jobless that the jobless receive to 400 a week from the 300. Uh, and that 300 was put in place, you know, in the package in December. Additionally, uh, he's going to be, you know, on, on top of extending the payments, you know, there's going to be rental assistance and eviction um, relief as well. That's going to provide 25 billion in rental assistance for low moderate income households. There is going to be a temporary increase in tax credits. There's going to be more money for child care. Um, a lot more aid for for schools. Uh, he wants to target 350 billion to state, local, and territorial governments in order to make sure you know their their frontline workers are, are are paid and able to distribute the vaccine and everything else. Um, last thing, last item really is he's calling for Congress to raise the minimum wage to 15 an hour. Uh, it's tough. It will be tough to see if he can do that. Um, I mean, there's talks about trying to get it in through budget reconciliation, but, um, you know, there's also an argument that it's a non-budgetary item, of course. Uh, so he might have to get the 60 votes needed, uh, filler buster proof votes needed uh, in order to get this thing passed. Um, and at the end of the day, apart from two or three conservatives or three Republicans, I mean, that's a very, very conservative block. So uh, we'll see what happens with the 15 hourly minimum wage. But, you know, a couple of years ago, that was kind of a pie in the sky request. And now there's certainly a ton of momentum built on that uh, last item as well. Well, the minimum wage is, is interesting, as you mentioned, because that is going to have to go through Congress and, and raising the federal minimum wage will have a big impact on different geographical territory. You know, 15 minimum wage in San Francisco uh, versus somewhere in North Dakota, there. North Dakota is is a big difference um, with with the amount of money coming in, but then also this could have a big impact on small businesses. So a direct raise to to the minimum wage of, of fifteen, I think it, there needs to be some progression and some plan, and, and not an instant turnover to that fifteen percent. Going back to to one of the Biden's plans that I, I think is really the most important is the increase in vaccines and, and testing, and, and this seems. 
across the board. Uh, if it's Fed presidents, lobbyist groups, uh, Wal- Walmart CEO came out and said that really we do need a uh, this national vaccine program to get more shots in, in people's arms and to really uh, go full tilt on that. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, if if that actually happens and that um, how the Biden administration w- will roll that out, because today it seems like we are uh, not where we should be in terms of the vaccine. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think we're near nearly uh, where we should be. Um, the rollout's been very slow. Uh, his plan is calling for investing $20 billion in a national vaccination program. Um, that's including lots of uh, community centers across the country. Uh, there will also be mobile units to get to hard-to-reach areas, you know, rural areas that have medical deserts, so to speak. Uh, and it's also going to fund, you know, the hiring of 100,000 public health workers, um, which would also, like, nearly triple the current community um, in order to get this done. So, yeah, it's a robust plan. Uh, we will see how it plays out on the Capitol. But but, yeah, that's 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 the framework of it thus far. And it looks like uh, the Biden administration will be uh, first thing signing a bunch of executive orders. So that can have an impact on, on some of these plans as well. Uh, one thing we should talk about if we think about the impact of the two point two trillion dollar stimulus bill the government passed in May uh, is we are now seeing the, the most cast in circulation since 1945 or, or the largest percent gain, I should say. Um, so a big reason, as I mentioned, is probably the stimulus package. But then we also see the Federal Reserve uh, money printing has also increased. Uh, so really, that this may have maybe a good indicator. Uh, historically, it's been a good sign that the amount of currency uh, in circulation uh, is a good sign as money is exchanging hands. And we do continue to see an influx of, of fiscal and monetary policy. Um, so it looks like it's a good sign, even though we it seems pretty incredible that this is the largest one year gain since 1945 when we were coming out of a world war. Yeah, um, I mean, what's important to note is that um, growth of money in circulation is always at a peak at the start of an economic cycle. That was the case in 1983. Uh, the United States was in, you know, a huge, huge spell of inflation then. Um, but that was, you know, a year of recovery. Uh, looking at 91 was similar in 2002 um, in response to the dot-com correction. And lastly, in 2009, as the uh, financial crisis was, you know, slowly kind of coming to an end. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you're looking at M1, um, the country's basic money supply, uh, those years saw circulation growth uh, quite a bit. You know, 1983 was 9.6 percent. 1991 was 10.2 percent. And in both 2002 and 2009, we saw money in circulation increased 9.8%. So if we look at this historical indicator, um, you know, it could be reflective of a good time for economic growth, uh, you know, in the near future. And we did see treasury yields rise. So we saw the spread between the two-year and the 10-year rise, as well as the two-year and the and the 30-year bond. Uh, this is interesting because if we, we do see see um, what the Fed stance is. It's still um, extremely expansionary in terms of monetary policy. So um, it's interesting to see that we did see the yield curve steepen a little bit at the 
more uh, longer durations. And so um, what do we think the reasoning behind these treasury yields rising and, and what's the impact, Drew? Yeah, I will. I mean, you have a lot of pent up demand for one, right? Um, that's one issue. Then secondly, uh, you had a sweep of the two Georgia runoff elections last week. That's definitely increased the prospect of a government who might be more aggressively running on debt, although um, we've been doing that for a long time right now. So I, <laughs> there's always like that change in the conversation. But I mean, anyway, you're going to have a government that's that's comfortable with that for sure. Um, then, I mean, I think those are two of the big things, um, that are, you know, you have changed the, the inflation outlook. Yeah. Cause I think inflation is, is, is definitely a big one. So, um, inflation break evens, what, what are the market segments? And then also, uh, there may be a little more hesitancy for the treasury buyers as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely going to be, you know, a conditions we have to look at um when we got you know you know fairly fairly aggressive rise in yield right i mean at least a couple of weeks ago uh there was a significant shift on both the 10 years and the 30-year bonds um they went up 20 basis points 22 basis points uh respectively um you know to start the year so that that, that was an aggressive movement um, one thing that we, we we should talk about is really the rise in options traders because, uh, you know, that was an interesting article we looked at this week. But uh, it comes from The Economist. Ultimately, there's been a rapid growth in present day options market. Um, so last year, there were 30 million options traded every day on American exchanges. That was 50 percent above what it was in 2019. And right now, in recent weeks, the volume's been about 40 million trades a day. Uh, Grant, what explains this, you know, increase in options um, trading and, and what should we make of it? Well, I think there's a, a couple factors. And, and one important thing is I, I think it's here to stay. So we have seen a surge in demand from these options come from smaller investors looking for long odd bets on single stocks. So this may be individual investors looking to uh, purchase uh, uh, call options or or uh, really betting on on different stocks, which is which is because I think we'll continue to see that rise. One thing is in 2019 or uh, 2020, for that matter, uh, we did see volatility rise and volatility is is really good for the underlying asset prices on uh, options, because as options move up and down uh, with, with volatility, you can be in and out of the money uh, rather quickly. So that's really good for, for these option pricing. And then lastly, uh, there, so options there there's two sides to the trade and what we're seeing is is a lot of these specialist traders and hedge funds on the side of these trades uh could be content with the premium from options uh so they could cover calls owning the stocks and, and writing the call options so then they can actually increase their returns by uh, receiving that premium and also being able to back it with the stocks pretty fascinating stuff um We've also seen this year, you know, commodity prices are surging. So whether we're in the new um, massive cycle that is, you know, we have to watch and 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 see. But in August, you know, we saw gold pass two thousand ounce for the first time ever. Um, oil markets have certainly recouped from you know 
several months ago, it was just only bad news in terms of pricing for, for those groups. Um, you know, and then commodities on assets under management reached a record, um, 640 billion in, in December. So, um, that represented an annual gain of, uh, nearly a quarter. Um, you know, and a lot of commodity indices have done really well as well. I think there's two things to watch for uh, as the vaccine rolls out uh, across the world uh, to see what the impact does of, of higher level of trade and travel, uh, because if both of those increases, that should impact the price of oil, because as uh, the demand goes up, especially for, for travel, uh, that will be good uh, for oil, which which may rise this year as well. Uh, and then another big thing is uh, the, the Democratic uh, government now taking over um, may see uh, stimulate economic activity and therefore commodity consumption. Um, so there, there's also the weak dollar, which may make oil and other commodities dominated in dollars cheaper for for buyers in emerging emerging markets. Um, so two big things to watch out there. Uh, commodities we did see that uh, there was a bit of supply chain. Uh, issues last year we did see china buy a lot of uh iron core and, and copper and this is really used in, in steel and electricity projects um so as we saw those those indices rise yeah it was also mentioned um i mean obviously us and china and especially europe you know i've been champions of green investment uh recently um but even that you know, green spending might, you know, lift oil demand um, in, in, in the case of if, if it caused a boost to employment and economic activity. So, uh, you know, Goldman estimated that if there was a $2 trillion stimulus over the next two years, that would raise American oil demand by about 200,000 barrels a day or 1%. So, um, you know, even if you're making targeted investments in new technology, if it causes an economic uh, growth, then at the end of the day, the demand for oil also increases. With that, um, Grant, is there anything you think we overlooked or we, we should be talking about? A uh, couple things to look out for. Um, we did see the Supreme Court uh, is now taking a case on um, corporations and with, with political givings to, to have to give names. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes because that's a big hot topic about uh, dark money donations. Uh, so be, be following that. Um, and we continue to, to have some earnings. So uh, United Airlines is today. It'll be interesting to see how the continued restrictions have impact flying because uh, I know we did see uh, more travelers in the fourth quarter with the holidays. And then we also have IBM and Intel on Thursday. So continuing to see how these earnings roll out. And then lastly, uh, we did see the Senate confirmation of Janet Yellen. She did have some uh, takes on China as well as uh, maybe adding some restrictions to Bitcoin. So once uh, she's in office, I, I do believe we, we will see some stric more restrictions around those two things. Yeah, uh, what I think is going to be something we should be looking at is with increased interest rates, you're seeing mortgage refinance demand spike pretty dramatically, um, 20%. You know, people are afraid of missing out on record rates uh, right now. So uh, I think there's going to be a period where there's just a lot of mortgage refinance demand. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, but for all of you who are listening, um, 
thanks uh, so much, you know, for the likes and subscribes. We'll talk to you next week and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.